I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Well, welcome for, and I always forget the number of the episode for Eurobytes, but so much is happening these days. As I always say, what a great time to be in the podcasting business. Um, things are happening in Europe uh, in rapid fire succession. Also, uh, amidst the sea of uh, stuff happening so quickly, we don't want to forget the timeless kind of bits. And last time we stumbled across something, um, even across a brilliant Lutheran church musician called Philip Nikolai with a beautiful song, Wake Awake for Night is Flying. Um, but probably before we get into these eternal uh, beauty and truth, let's see what has been happening in Europe, or probably our focus here is Germany, but that doesn't mean that um, we, we might branch out. And I play the ball straight to Lucas and Fabian. There was something rather interesting going on in the state of Bavaria, Bavaria, which is not quite Germany, but not quite Austria yet. It is a special place. Some call it the German Texas. Over to you guys. Well, Bavaria, first of all, is probably what most Americans consider to be the Germany. When Americans think of Germany, many of them think of Lederhosen, engineering, smart people, friendly people, wealthy people. This is basically Bavaria. So... In Bavaria, there's a coalition government between the CSU party, who's the uh, junior party of the CDU. You remember the CDU from Angela Merkel, current party chairperson is Friedrich Merz, who has his own issues to handle. So CSU always turned out to be the more socially conservative um, wing of the conservatives in Germany in general. Now, after decades of um, them having governed Bavaria just alone, um, in a majority government, uh, they had to um, switch over to a coalition government in 2018, which they did with so-called Freie Wähler, or independent voters, which is like a voter group that typically just forms little groups in order to um, run in municipal elections, like many mayors in southern Germany in towns with like uh, populations up to 20, 50,000 people, um, Freie Wähler um, are really successful in those. And out of nowhere comes the Freie Wähler State Party in Bavaria, and they achieve, I think, it's like 10 or 12 percent of the vote. And Markus Söder, who's the governor of Bavaria, um, he decides to actually enter into coalition government with um, the Freie Wähler and Hubert Aiwanger, who's the uh, Freie Wähler chairman. He becomes not just the um, the vice governor of Bavaria, but he also becomes the minister for the economy of Bavaria. Now, look at Bavaria. It's been run super well over the last year. So that tells you a lot about Hubert Aiwanger being actually a politician of the people and for the people. He's one of the few people who still talk in a very heavy dialect. He's someone who um, actually talks about his real life and his real life not being politics, but being like, yeah, I'm going to do this for some years and then go back to my farm that I share with my wife, with my brother, with my parents. So 
In Bavaria, um, I mentioned the last election has been in 2018. Next one's going to happen in October in just about five weeks. Out of nowhere, like one and a half or two weeks ago, comes um, a leak according to which Mr. Ivanger has published um, during his teenage years, I think he was 15 or 16, an anti-Semitic leaflet, which he allegedly distributed in school. And we're going to link in the episode um, the leaflet itself and also the 25 answers by Mr. Ivanger that have been published today because he was being put under severe pressure by Markus Söder, the governor of Bavaria, who never really made clear whether he wanted to... Um, to continue the coalition after the October elections or not. Now, today, the whole thing seems to have um, found a solution by Markus Söder, the Bavarian governor, um, saying that he's going to stick with Hubert Aiwanger. But, gents, in my opinion, there's way more to the whole deal. Fabian, Christian, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, well, first of all, thank you. I... Um, um... This, there's so many components to this. First of all, one of the things why this election itself and why this reaction um, is really important for viewers and why the Bavarian the the Bavarian elections, the Texas of Germany um, election is so important is because um, Bavaria's governor MP Markus Söder, deep in his political will, I believe he wants to become the next chancellor of Germany. And he is somewhat of a character who has been back and forth. Sometimes he's been very, very conservative. So here's a guy who's mandated crosses in schools saying that we are a Christian country. We are a Christian state. Therefore, we shall have Christian symbols in our schools. Um, here's somebody who has talked about refugees being on asylum tourism and uh, has created an own border police in Bavaria to close the borders from migrants coming into the state, to the country. At the same time, here's a guy who has all of a sudden picked up on green issues. He's been a somebody who's tried to become the most pro-environmentalist, bee-friendly uh, governor of all time. And con the conservative base doesn't trust him. The liberal base doesn't trust him. And now here's a case where his vice MP, his vice governor, translated, it apparently published an anti-Semitic leaflet. And the left-wing media, the, 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 the newspaper that published it is called Süddeutsche or Southern German newspaper. What would you guys relate this to in the US? Is this somewhat I of a New York Times? So in German, we call it Guardian. the Alpen Pravda sometimes. So um, I think the Alpine Pravda, you know, the party newspaper, the Soviet Union, that should tell you a lot of things. I think it's somewhere between uh, the Guardian and the Washington Post. Okay. Um, the thing that speaks in favor of the Guardian is they don't have a paywall. The Süddeutsche Zeitung is like borderline communist yet with a paywall. Okay. <laughs> and, and these people have... Um, I mean, here's a classical case where somebody could make the argument, here is where journalism turns into activism. And they have deliberately tried to remove or deliberately hurt a politician who has really started a movement that 
is not only in Bavaria, but has spread throughout Germany to combat politically the green red mandates that have crippled Germany's economy. And in a public movement, I mean, this was a this was a, a, a public protest against the Green Party. He spoke and Ivanga said, we are going to take our democracy back. Now, just for, for viewers and listeners in America, this is a sentence or a statement that in America might be completely, I don't know, normal. We're going to take our country back. We're going to take our democracy back. This caused a huge uproar in Germany because ever since the implementation of democracy, democracy has been something sacred. So when somebody says that this, uh, you know, we're going to take our democracy back, they were outraged. But what's key here is that this man, Hubert Aiwanger, is not a member of the AfD. He's a member of a local party. He's a, he's a, what is he, what is his profession? He's a farmer. He, he's a, I think, he's I think farmer, he has yeah. some forestry or something like that. But he, I mean, here's a local guy that is, he, he is the most active combat veteran of anti-wokeism in Germany who's not a member of the AfD. He's not a member of a party that in some cases, Todd, as you have published this with the CD media, that, that has uh, ties to the CCP in China, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the AfD, let's be honest, is not kosher in all instances. This party has certain ties and certain beliefs, yeah. whether to Eurasianism or even looking for allies in the CCP to combat the woke uh, U.S. deep state, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. They have forged alliances that in some cases are unhealthy and yeah. would not benefit Germany or Europe in the end. And the, the, the independent voters, the Freiwähler Gemeinschaft, these people are grassroots. They're local. You could, I mean, guys, for the American viewer, how would we relate this party? Who, what would they come close to? A grassroots movement. Well, I think I, they're I, like, uh, they can't really be compared to anything in the American political scheme. They're like, um, they're somewhat Republicans. Um, they're somewhat libertarian in parts like only in slight parts i think the we, we call it america first we don't even call them yeah they're, they're kind of like they're yeah. either the america first wing of the conservatives or they'd be close to the ross perot people in the 90s who are like um i don't yeah. really care about um what's the majority like i have my opinion and i'm going to stand for this opinion. exactly now at this point at this point let me let me allow to just um or allow me to just um have one second to compare the Freiwillergemeinschaft um, with anything in the U.S. is kind of tough and complicated, but comparing Markus Söder to a U.S. politician is super easy because he's like the he's the spitting image of Ron DeSantis, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably to the left of Ron DeSantis, but every bit as much of a creature of the system and a first-rate cock. I mean, let's let's be. Let's be clear about it. I, I think for, for the viewers from the S, I think the, the thing that Fabian and Lucas have teased out so far, I mean, the amazing thing that dominated the, use about, the news about Germany two weeks ago was the suggestion once the AFD, Germany's center-right or far-right, as some prefer to call it, was the, uh, then our gov government um, establishment system rushing to debating, prohibiting them. As, as a party, and there are certain high hurdles, but, you know, it's been done in the past before. So that is one thing. 
But now they're going after probably something a lot more dangerous to them. The, the, the term centrist is a bit overused, but I probably would kind of call the Freie Wähler centrist to a degree, sort of the Ross Perot kind of 1992 kind of, kind of bit where... Um, and blue dog Democrats and, and, and that kind of bit, and that they're going after him. And it's a remarkable case. Again, um, a school teacher digs out an essay from his student from, I don't know how many years ago, is it 25 years ago, 30 37 years, ago, years ago? 37 years ago, when the student was 15. Now yeah. that tells us more about the teacher. I mean, yeah. just to for the viewers, the teacher was sort of a leftist activist before that was a thing in Bavaria. Bavaria used to be a one-party state since its inception. The CSU, the sort of sister party of the CDU, governed Bavaria for all practical purposes alone until a couple of years ago when they became more and more cucked. That's when an alternative rose, both in the form of the alternative for Germany, the quote-unquote far-right, and the more centrist Freie Wähler. And that... So they that a newspaper would stoop to the level to even accept an essay from a teacher from 37 years ago, which gracefully the brother of Mr. Aiwanger said, well, actually, that was mine. It wasn't my brother, the politician. It yeah. was myself who wrote that um, that silly article. And I've been punished for that in school. And that should have been the end of it 37 years ago. But quite clearly it isn't. And I mean, yeah. I guess there is a duplicity with the United States, Todd. I, I mean, the gloves are off. And uh, the people who, who are like, well, we're fighting um, for democracy in, in, in Ukraine. And, you know, at the same time, <laughs> there's not going to be elections in Ukraine. And we know how that worked out for much of the Russian minority. Um, but now the chickens really have come home to roost. Stuff that we've, that we, well, the Western world, um, and the neocons have been doing in Ukraine, it's kind of coming coming back home. I mean, four indictments yeah. against Donald Trump. Yeah. A, and then like a ridiculous bit from 37 years ago of a high school essay. And even had he written it, it would still be, oh my God, I mean, all the rubbish I've written in high school, I mm -hmm. hope that, that never sees the light of day, not because it was particularly radical, because it was particularly silly. <laughs> and probably yeah, back to you, Todd, just like from, from the yes. Well, I mean, there is a definite uh, movement or effort to separate those who say the right thing than do another from those who actually do what they say they're going to do. And that is an active process that's going on. Here's a, uh, an overlay of what we did with the Georgia Speaker of the House and the Georgia legislature this week who came out and said, don't look at what Fannie Willis is doing to Trump. It's all fine. Don't say a thing. So we... We posted his shadow uh, with you know, <laughs> Rhino, Republican in name only. Um, so w there is a definite effort to go after that. And uh, it has to happen because I, we've been infiltrated to a massive degree. I don't know about Germany. I'll throw it back to you. But we have been infiltrated. It's quite obvious in, in a way that is, is existential to the Republic. From uh, and, and I don't know. I, I'd love to look back you know, 200 years from now and, and see what the historians write about how this was done, because it, it's phenomenal. It's, it's going to be really exciting. One thing that I'd like to add for this whole debate is, um, you know, one of the big differences between the major part of the U.S., like let's keep California with the um, data protection stuff out, um, but 
um, one thing that really tells the EU and the US apart is the fact how personal data, how privacy is handled. Mm -hmm. And out of nowhere comes uh, this whole thing where it's privacy for me, but not for thee. In Germany, there's like the school records have to be destroyed after some years. Like, um, it's really tough to get the originals of your um, school essays or like your grade papers or something because after some time there's simply no space and they're just going to toss them or like shred them. Here comes this teacher who is a member of the Bavarian Social Democrat Party nowadays. Like I think he's been way further to the left, but now he just shifted over to something that like in Bavaria being a leftist still is considered really bad as it rightfully should be because um, Bavaria has run really well on CSU over the past well, 60 years, basically, and now with the Freie Wählergemeinschaft, it, I think it runs even better. Um, here comes this teacher, 37 years after either Hubert Aiwanger or his brother um, wrote this um, essay, which it's, it's basically a pamphlet. It's, it's really bad. Like um, once you read it and the readers will have the chance to, uh, to just read it, it is the content is undebatable of course like it's just out of the bounds of what we agree as part of the normal dialogue yet at the same time this is what in german you would call a jugendsünde um, like a youthful bad thing you did at one point now the, uh, come back to the data protection thing all the records have been destroyed but here comes this teacher who apparently found the whole thing so interesting that he stored it at home for 37 years and now goes like oh, Darn, Mr. Eidhanger is actually um, turning into the second biggest political party in this state. You know what? Mr. Eidhanger is anti-Semitic and I want this guy removed. And like no proof. As Christian said before, he goes to um, the Alpine Pravda newspaper and they're like, oh, yeah, thank you for this document. We're going to publish it right away. And the most hilarious thing that comes now is, um, the Süddeutsche managed to not name a single person, but instead they were like, oh, yeah, um, we have these people who would give um, a so-called Eidelstattliche Erklärung, which is like an oath-like expression. Well, guess what? Germans are like, oh, it's like an oath, so they have to go to prison in case they lie. Well, guess what? You can only give either an oath or an oath-like expression in front of authorities, and the Süddeutsche, for, fortunately... It's not an authority. So this is basically just a blatant lie that's been thrown out into the wild. And they try, like, this is the real witch. hunt. This is basically over the turn of two weeks, Germany's got its own witch hunt that haunted President Trump for years. Or Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. 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 Right? I mean, this is we the, the beach playbook. Week. Yeah. This is, the, this, is, this is playbook page one. Dig up dirt from the past and just write it until yeah. everyone believes it. Yeah. it. The interesting thing is that Classic it's backfiring. That's and what I was going to ask. Is it going to work? No. I mean, if you look at the polling and even like the, the uh, if, you, if, if, if you listen to um, people who talk um, with voters on the market square, they're all saying now we're especially going to vote for him yeah. because we don't want this dirt. 
But this has been the interesting thing um, until like until today, until this morning, when there's like a rapid rushed press conference that only took nine minutes by the governor of Bavaria. We were all not sure whether uh, Mr. Söder is going to play the anti-Semitism instrument so hard that he would kick out Mr. Ivanger, being like, I cannot be in a coalition government with this guy. But come yesterday, uh, Mr. Zutter was obviously it's Bavaria in a beer hall campaigning and in front of 6,000 people said, um, we're for Bavarian liberty and this liberty cannot be upheld with um, certain parties. So this is why there will not be a CSU Green Party government. And today, Mr. Zutter finally um, at this press conference said that what Mr. Ivanger did was bad, but at the same time, it's been... 37 years ago, and that all throughout his political career, Mr. Ivanger didn't do anything wrong. So the, the funny thing about Mr. Ivanger is, um, I just need to add this. You know, he, he, I mentioned um, in the beginning, he's this funny dialect. He speaks a bit like um, the people in my corner of Austria. It's like, um, if he were a Southerner, he'd have a real Southern twang. And Whenever people ask him, um, did you do this and that? He's literally like negating the question. He's like, no, I didn't do this and that. So people ask, have you ever been a bad guy during your adult years? He's like, no, I haven't been a bad guy during my adult years. And out of nowhere come the left-wing newspapers. be like, but as a teenager, he probably was the worst. And now they tried to smear him more and more and more. The first thing was the leaflet. Then came, um, he brought Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf to school. Then they were like, but no, no one saw that. So this, this smear didn't stick. The th third thing was, I think he allegedly did a Hitler salute. Now we're ready at the level of he painted swastika on school toilet walls. <laughs> and out of nowhere comes the, uh, his high school, um, like his, his prom newspaper. And they're like, you know, people comment on each other in this newspaper. And they're like, yeah, Hubert was always a fun guy. Um, if there was if there was someone who's always running to the radiator, turning it down to energy conserve, it's Hubert. This is the real <laughs> Mr. Ivangers. Jeez, <laughs> oh, that's Probably, amazing. I mean, the one thing, and, and, and I would like to tease something out of Fabian and Lucas. All of us, three of us, have been traveling quite a bit recently. Fabian spent a while, quite a while in the U.S., came back. Lucas, you've been traveling quite a bit. I always find that um, <clears throat> then you know traveling the country and it always provides you with a temporary beginner mindset as, as it were. And probably for me, the interesting thing to see how always on message the media was. And I was in the very, um, very rural um, Southwestern Germany and the local newspapers just crap. And essentially interesting enough, every single photo in that newspaper had people with face masks on. So it's almost like you're being primed. That was one thing I found really interesting. The other thing I found really interesting, um, even something innocuous, like watching a cyclist race. There was a big cycling race from Hanover to Bremen in the north. And rather than commenting on the sports aspect of it, they, they're like, oh, you see all these wind turbines? Yeah, it's the wind wind turbine powerhouse in the north yeah and, and that was kind of i mean it's kind of like i mean lucas drew the 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 parallel with the pravda where even like a sports event would have always been seen in terms of um the the working classes of the world reuniting and there was this ice hockey game lake placid and it's more than just an ice hockey game and blah 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 and and, and i did find 
quite a bit in there. There's always a message. And this is, this is new to us even in that form. But I'm going to play it over to Fabian and Lucas. You guys having traveled as much as you guys recently did, what, what kind of fun stuff did you guys stumble across, which might actually be interesting to a U.S. listener or enable them to draw some parallels with the U.S. at the moment? I'm going to do it really quick with my first story, and then I'd like to pass on to Fabian. Um, so I've spent two weeks in the southern U.S. I did a road trip from uh, Charleston to New Orleans. It was pretty fun. There's a lot of stories on that. And then um, last week I was in Spain. And this is the only thing I'd like to add at this point already. Um, on my flight back to Germany yesterday, there's already groups of people with masks again. Like, I love how people wear these COVID-protecting masks that they... Like, first of all, uh, the air and airplane is really clean. Uh, like, they've got a lot of filters. Secondly, does anyone tell these people that you actually need to wear these masks over your nose? And thirdly, um, why are they doing this at this point? You know, it's like, it feels like virtue signaling. That's um, what it is. That's what like, it is. Um, and here's I'm the, a good like, person. Exactly. Now, now, here comes the thing, Todd. They're good people. Now, um, I'm tall. We're all tall. So I always, um, when there's only economy class in the airplane, I always book these um, seats uh, with more legroom right next to the emergency exit. Um, so there's this guy, he's sitting like behind me, not in one of these rows. And he's like, well, 5'10 or something. And out of nowhere, he comes with a COVID mask and he's like, yeah, if no one's going to sit here, I'm going to sit here. He's like, well, you didn't even pay for this chair. So why? You know, they're always just virtue signaling that 30 percent beneficial for them. There's that 30% who will always do that. But I can tell yeah. you that most of the country is going to say a big F you when they try to do that again. So, yeah. so let's take a quick break and we will be right back with you. I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, an investment advisory practice. I've been an advisor for nearly 30 years, and one of the questions I get asked most frequently is, do I have enough money relative to other people my age? And while that's an interesting question, it's also the wrong question. The right question is, is do you have enough money to sustain your lifestyle for the rest of your life? This is a question you should know the answer to. This is what we do. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Welcome back. Fabian, what do you think? All right. Well, thank you. Uh, a couple points I wanted to make, and then um, I wanted to jump into a more um, broad subject. First of all, um, with with to close on the Ivanger case, I just wanted to say what I find interesting is that the fact that um, Zerda is sticking with this guy is showing that the tide has turned. It shows that um, the sort of left green hegemony um, has ceased to grab the power hold on, on politicians that you can say that um, there, is, there is not that... Yeah. Um, that that fourth um, element of government being the media that can demand who it's going to fire and who it's not going to fire. Yeah, However, X, like German Twitter is on fire today. All the left wing commentators are like, how can Marcus Söder do this? He's part of an anti-Semitic group now. While even uh, Jewish historian Michael Wolfson in yeah. Germany was like, um, 
come on guys this is not a big deal and if and even if it were a big deal 37 years ago mr eibanger um has never been anti-jewish or something right and and i think um the, the the thing too to remember is that uh um this whole case on on the the, the media strategy that was deployed here was quite boneheaded because I mentioned this earlier, you're attacking a guy of the so-called, um, well, in, in Germany, there's to, to describe sort of the conservative parties of the middle, you, you call them bürgerlich. I, I don't know if it would describe as bourgeois, but maybe basically the, the center, the middle class, the middle class working people. And to, to, to take a strong politician, a strong leader from their base, would only in the end help the AfD because they're going to gun for this whole left green woke activism anyways, and they don't care. So if, if he would have been removed, it would have been a, another victory for the AfD. Um, with, with that being said, with him retaining power and staying in power, um, who knows what chances they might have on the federal level come elections in 2025, unless this coalition breaks. Speaking of the coalition breaking, um, Christian, the German economy has been tanking and tanking and tanking. Um, we are uh, now in negative growth among all industrial nations. Um, it's interesting. Every time the social Democrats govern Germany, we're the sick man of Europe. What's happening? Well, um, I, I would caveat that last time, the one person that got us out of the last recession was Gerhard Schröder, who did things that the Christian Democrats wouldn't have been able to do by. So he first tried the Keynesian thing in the end of the 19, mid 2000s. He tried the Keynesian thing, spending. Then there's always the thing about the Keynesian. Well, yeah, we're going to spend like 50 billion, but there's the multiplication factor. And, and it's going to be, we're going to get back more. Turns out um, economists measured it. So there was a bump in the German economy way in the mid 2000s. And turns out it was exactly the, the amount that they invested. And then Schroeder did very painful labor market reforms. This time, obviously, we're having an entirely different beast. We're, we're not having a pragmatic guy like Schroeder. This time we're having hardcore ideologists. And this time really under Schroeder, the social Democrats ran the coalition, or Schroeder ran the coalition, alpha male. Um, this time, Scholz is no alpha male. He is pretty much um, the, the gamma of the Green Party. And we've got um, hardcore ideologists, um, our minister of economics, uh, who seems to think, I think we explained it last time, he explained to a baker, hey, just because you're not se selling any rolls uh, doesn't mean you're going to go bankrupt. And that guy was like, yes, that, that's exactly what it means. I'm a baker. And because of the energy prices, um, there's something interesting. And as I said, everybody in Germany is always on message. And there used to be these uh, various, very well reputed um, economic institutes in Germany called the, the economic wise man, as they were known. And one of those is the Institute for World Economics in Kiel, in the northern city of Kiel, not too, that far from Denmark. And they said something, yeah. I mean, we really need to reform. And it's sort of like, okay, no, no S uh, Sherlock. And so they're like, yeah, and see what the problem is, the debt ceiling. That's really the problem here. And then essentially you can just look into the numbers. I'm like, okay, um, the debt ceiling is never a problem as we'd seen in the United States, you just raise it. So first of all, there's that. 
Secondly, if we just look at the expense of last year, and just the American listeners, those numbers may seem small to you. They're very, very large from an economy the size of Germany. You get quadruple, so you get quadruple them for the US. Yeah. So essentially, we had 26 billion paid last year for refugees. Let's call them that. I mean, to me, nobody's a refugee who crosses half a dozen safe countries and land, then lands in, uh, lands in Germany. But okay, let's call them 26 billion in direct costs. Um, I mean, that doesn't include municipal costs, that doesn't include policing, that doesn't include medical care and so forth. We spend as a state, and that's the first one, 33 billion in developmental aid. I mean, that's almost as large as our, as our defense budget. Um, There's one great thing to add to this. Germany pays development aid to economic powerhouses such as communist China. Yes. And, and, and India. I mean, they're thanking yeah. us as they are dancing on the moon. Um, we, of, uh, we pay money to nuclear, um, like we, we pay money to countries that actually do better in, in energy politics, but also to countries that yield nuclear weapons. This tells you how much of a development can, uh, developing country they are. Yeah, we yeah. do too. We still pay China too. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, there, there's a parallel. I'm sure. <laughs> to to add some fun more, uh, some some bit more. Obviously, we are still a net contributor to the European Union with 25 billion. So, uh, dear viewers, that's just 80 billion. That's far more than than what we spend on on traffic, on infrastructure, and our military. Um, so that's a non-trivial sum. Yet our our um, our institute of the economic wise men thinks, hey, you know what's the problem? The debt ceiling. We ought to be taken up more debt. And there's no critical thinking that, you know, it, it's sort of that what we call in German gratis mood, which means um, a uh, bravery that comes for free, that comes free of cost, yeah. sort of virtue signal in a sense. He's like, yeah, we need to reform. <laughs> and you know what? He could have, he could have really said, well, we should not, we should not waste money on fake refugees. We should not um, spend more money on, on Ukraine than we spend on our infrastructure. Um, I think our Minister of Economics um, has pledged that we are now going to pay the, the pensions of, of Ukrainian, Ukrainian pensioners. No, not, not, none of that. And, and this, this is really interesting. And if you actually move through Germany, depends where you move, it's, it's a checkered picture, really. So some folks tell you, oh, yeah, we are noticing that, that business is slowing down. If, if I'm sort of moving through the village where my grandma's from, I, I still see people are still quite affluent. So some of the basic industries are still running um, and people are still doing well. And there are still some things that, you know, people will buy like very expensive sort of high-end German tools or high-end German machinery, regardless how much it costs. But there's tons of other stuff where it's a commodity, like our chemical industry where you don't have a big brand affiliation. And that's where it's going to bite us. But the one sentence you hear from most Germans, I mean, as I'm sitting in the garden of, of a couple where they both work as doctors and there's the pool in the garden, they're like, you know, it's not so bad. <laughs> I mean, you always have that, but that probably will ring could true. Could be worse, for, could be worse. Yeah, so that will ring true for many um, Americans who live outside the coasts in the middle of what is derogatively and wrongly termed flyover country, when the people from the coast tell them, you know, well, it's not so bad. <laughs> I mean, if they work in finance in, in, in New York or in, in the, the tech sector in, in California, yeah, then things probably don't look so bad. And I think we're, we're having that as well. But probably some, some more probably playing that economic thing back to you, Fabian and Lucas. 
I think it's kind of an interesting um, observation that you're that you're making. See, over the past two weeks um, in the real rural U.S., like I've decided not to just drive down the interstate, but instead spend 14 days in rural Georgia, Alabama, uh, Mississippi, and Louisiana. Did Did you go to Enterprise where they have the statue of the bug? Uh, no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Um, Quick story. I, they, they, they were planting cotton and the bull weevil ate all the cotton and it forced oh. them to make, to plant peanuts and they all got rich. So they have a statue of a bull weevil. <laughs> 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 I don't know that. But what I was really surprising was um, there's a generally pro-business climate in South Carolina, in Georgia, in Alabama. Um, even Mississippi. And I was really positively shocked at seeing um, how many factories are, are being built, how many people actually, like how many pickup trucks um, have tools on them, how many people are like working on things. Like I went to towns that are like um, destitute, like um, it's called Union Springs in Alabama. Um, it's like a town that used to be really nice. As an old lady told me, like that, she was like, back in the days, this is a really nice place. And now this was all really bad and worn down. But there's always this American spirit of people, um, people improving these things. And like, so mm -hmm. there's this pro-industry thing. Then at one point um, I went to a lake and I saw how much Americans are into conserving their nature, even though this is um, what some people would deem redneck country or something. Um, like the people who live there know about the beauty of the nature, about the importance of their nature. Still, their priorities are like, um, we want to maintain this nature, but at the same time, we do not want to live in the dark um, and in candlelit houses. Unlike Mr. Habeck, who's the German federal minister of the economy, which tells you a lot of things. Um, but overall, it's been, it's been surprisingly pleasant. The only thing that was kind of um, disappointing was seeing uh, New Orleans in the morning and seeing, seeing the leftovers from Bourbon Street and seeing how desolate a city can be and how, how there's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say this um, so straightforward, but it was really dirty. I was, yeah. I was, no, that, this is the Biden economy. There are, they are pushing the homeless and the, you know, growing yeah. that population and growing the yeah. filth. Someone, someone told me a great job though. You know how the unemployment is going down at one point in the U S and one guy was like, well, uh, with the new Bidenomics, everyone needs three jobs to survive. So of course there's like no unemployment anymore. Well, that's true too. It's a gig economy. Definitely. What about you, Fabian? All right. So um, I think one of the, the key takeaways from my travels in the U.S. is similar to yours, that um, um, despite the spirits being low uh, with regard to the future of the next couple of years, um, and, and, and yes, I have to say people in, 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 the, in, in the Midwest where I was traveling um, there's a concern that the country is going to um, devolve into conflict, and I think, I think from a from a strategic standpoint, um, I think Americans are gearing up to, especially for Europeans. This is in key to knowing this. Um, Europeans are going to have have to ask themselves the following question: Once a Donald Trump's 
comes back to power, or B, the U.S. disintegrates into some kind of an internal conflict. Either way, the role of NATO is going to decline in a certain sense, or at yeah. least the U.S. involvement and the U.S. role within NATO is going to decline. And the questions that Europeans, first and foremost, Germans have to ask themselves is, are you ready for this? Are you ready for a future in which you as a nation are going to have to become Prussians again? Uh, are you ready for a turning point where you're actually going to have to grow up, be a man, no, but you know what I mean, um, and, and take care of your own front yard? Because that's the truth of the matter. The problem is that German politicians, German leaders love their role of being sort of obedient to the will of Anthony Blinken and Victoria Nuland. When you talk to the American people, I think there's a great, I mean, this is what I've noticed. There's a great interest, there's a great connection, and there's even a love for the old continent where their ancestors came from. And okay. there is a great interest to see that this continent returns to its roots and 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 becomes what it was again you know the 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 foundation of western civilization yeah besides uh england and my my one side of the family is from bielefeld so i'm completely there you family. go there you yeah. go exactly yeah. i mean that's that's and 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 that's the thing is like if there's any i mean look the truth is the most european nation on the face of the earth is the united states of america there's no nation that combines all of the European elements from Spain, France, uh, England, Ireland, um, Scandinavia, Germany, Italy than the United States. There's no place that is more European in that sense than the United States. And I think there's a great interest of all the people of European descent that, that want to see this place revive back to what it used to be. And but but at the same time, I do notice that there is a great impatience or sort of this. How should I say it? It's almost a it's almost a way of 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 saying why? Why are you still in a state of, of, of being a vassal? Why do you why do you behave this way? Why? Why are you so dependent on us? I, I just that that's one thing that I've noticed. I mean, talking even to I was talking mm -hmm. to a guy who was in the Marines you know, so many people that just said, we, you know, our, our military foundations are, come from you guys, but right now what you're doing is just, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not getting the job done. You could, and, act, you could ask the people in Ukraine the same question. Why <laughs> don't you know, don't, can't you see what's going on? Right. You know? and, and, and so these are the questions that we're going to have to solve in the next couple of years. Um, and it's going to, and, and here's, here's my theory though, behind it. Um, I think there's going to be a rude awakening. I think it's going to be a, a, a real rude awakening. I mean, Todd, let me ask you this question. Do you mm -hmm. think if, if, um, Trump comes back into office that there will be a push to pull the U S out of NATO? It's very likely. And, you know, my fear of Germany and yes, the, if Trump, I wouldn't say if, Trump is coming back. I can. Everybody knows it. Even the Democrats are preparing for it. Even the Europeans. Even Zelensky is preparing for it because he knows 
he everything's going to disappear. So he has to submit totalitarian control on the country. And that's happening as we speak. Um, he put Kolomoisky in jail yesterday. But what I see for Germany and a lot of Europe is, are you going to become what happened to Russia, where you were invaded by a foreign culture and you just simply disappeared um, and became a... a uh, a, a, a strongman state where you had warlords and you know all of this that that they're dealing with today from the mongols i mean that is what i see you're being invaded and so are we so are you going to resist that and maintain your culture or not i see that as the question i mean an interesting is, bit tidbit on that um would be maloney who's been the disappointment to the european right um, I mean, I think, Lucas, um, I don't know who actually said it, but you like to say it. Typically, empires or cultures don't go out with a bang, but with a whimper. And I think uh, the way it's geared now, it can be a slow process. And then very much it might be, we might be in the, uh, if, if we ever wake up in the Reconquista kind of territory and, hey, it only took the Spaniards 800 years to, to do it. Um, but there's certainly... I mean, the one thing that, that's, that, that's obvious with the entire European right, including the Polish. So first of all, let's look at the British uh, right. When Boris Johnson came into power, he was going to be the guy who was going to sort out the illegal migration problem. In brackets, the illegal migration is the smallest migration problem that the UK has. So in total numbers, yes, it's spectacular about maybe 60,000 people, maybe 100,000 are going to come over from France in small inflatable boats this year. It pales in comparison to the one million that come in legally for a country that's twice as populated than Germany, four times as populated as France, and a couple of times more populated than the US on, on average. That that's quite something. So 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 Boris Johnson sold out. Uh, now we've got an unelected uh, prime minister um, who's doing even less. Um, Maloney. Well, suddenly she starts talking about legal migration after she said we are going to have a naval blockade, and. Um, uh, no, nothing of the kind is happening. Maloney is actually going to crank up migration the way it looks like. Poland, they're interesting musings by the Polish government where everybody thought, oh, no, the Polish, they are the base uh, based part of Europe. Doesn't look like it. Uh, the government is musing about as well, cranking up um, the legal migration numbers. So at the moment, yeah. it's more looking like a scenario that you outlined, Todd. That's not going yeah. to be in 10 years from now. It's going to be 20 years from now. But who knows, 100 years from now, that might mm. very well be if they don't get their act together. Probably, Lucas, you were going to say Yeah, i just like to add one thing on Georgia Maloney, the Italian prime minister. So I think she's basically what you'd consider classic Republican nowadays. Like, she's, <laughs> she, like, she doesn't really care about migration at all, but, you know, at least she's pro-business. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. this, is the, this is the only thing um, that I can say in her favor. At, le at least she's pro-business. Welcome back to the group of politicians who you think are in your favor, and all you end up with is at least they're not actively hurting me. Well, you know what's happening in the U.S. Uh, is the alternative economy is booming. I mean, literally the corporations that support the woke agenda and the migration and everything are being walked away from. And so you have a real turning point I see in new economies coming on scale, whether it be media, whether it be 
medical, um, you know, food supply. Uh, you know, we're still, some are still behind others, technology, but it, it's happening and that needs to happen in Europe. You have that economic power. And if they are not, if they are, you know, if Mercedes is supporting the, the wrong agenda, don't buy a Mercedes, you know, buy something else. Well, I don't know if Germany would ever get to that point. Every but. every car manufacturer is supporting them. I think, mm -hmm. I think the only th uh, you you all remember um, Pride Month, right? Um, so in Europe, all car manufacturers switch over their X and Facebook and Instagram logos to something rainbowy. So if you want to, like, this is something for the European consumer. I think if you really want to avoid wokeism. All you can do is switch over to Chinese manufacturers because they don't give a darn about this. Like <laughs> this is like this is happening anyway. You know, there's like um, Chinese car manufacturers who uh, try to um, really penetrate the European market. And I mean, Germany always used to be a country of people where a car used to be a status symbol. Now cars have become more of a commodity, I'd say. Like. It's just generally not cool in my in Fabian's, uh, like Christian, you're not old, Todd, you're not old, but you're still like 10 years um, older yeah. than we are. So in, in my generation, um, a third of Germans or a quarter or a third of Germans don't have a driving license anymore. And most people uh, don't have a car anymore. Like, you own nothing uh, and be happy. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. You you are so right. Yes, exactly. So like um, I sometimes have to justify to friends and acquaintances why I have a car living in the city center. And I'm like, well, you know, somehow everyone's everyone likes to everyone likes that I have a car once they move heavy things, once they move apartments and stuff. But it's like, why do you own a car nowadays? What's wrong with you? You know, it's I have a, I, I know a young man who's going to school in China and uh, he's an American. And he tells me that the professors from Indonesia, from India, from Russia, from, uh, are not woke. It's only the Americans professors that are woke. So this is yes. a, a weapon they're using against us. People yes. need to realize that and wake up. So. Yeah, you know, the thing is, um, China, um, like the Chinese middle class, um, they're not having it. They don't want, um, they don't want a woke economy. They want, they want the goods of the economy that we had since the 50s. Like the yeah. ideal for someone in China who's working really hard is not um, the European system as of right now. It's the European and American system of the 50s and 60s where people had like new things coming in every single year where people suddenly bought a dishwasher, where people bought a new oven, where people had a TV set at home, where people had like a gramophone and stuff. It's like increasing your real, um, like how do you say, your real assets, your real wealth but this is not happening anymore now it's all shared economy in europe and now it's all like um yeah be happy that we don't take even more from you keep in mind that um for years germany has only been runner-up to the second highest taxed country in the whole oecd now um belgium actually is doing some useful reforms um which now leaves germany as the country where you pay most taxes where you pay most in social security and get least i think like compared to what you pay in you get the least probably i think um that might might be a good way to to to, to round up the more political economic thing we we kind of resolved if we still have some time to, to look at the, the the more eternal uh, less um 
transient truths. Um, and I, I would like to pick Fabian's brain since Fabian, you're most plugged into um, the sort of what's going on in terms of religions. In the continent, I would like to start off with a tidbit about the World Youth Day in Lisbon, where, well, um, apparently something like 500,000 pilgrims travel to Lisbon. Great. Um, so it shows there's clearly still an appetite for religion. But obviously our Pope then goes on to talking about um, uh, economic justice and inclusivity and um, climate. So increasingly that uh, reads like the Green Youth Party Conference. So I just want to flag that as a footnote. Probably Fabian, white pillars. Have, have you seen anything else that surprised you positively in terms of uh, religious awakening in Europe since you came back? Right. So um, uh, to to end today's episode, I think it's it's important to to remember that in the last episode, we we discovered this point that in order to to have a nation, you have to have a form of spirituality. And I think one of the reasons why we discovered why Europe is in such dire straits is because of the um, the state of faith in Europe. Um, this week, I came across a interesting quote from an in English writer, Chesterton. Um, this quote was done by a guy, um, or I, I found out of this quote by a guy by the name of Jeff Fountain. He leads um, a missionary group in, in, in the Netherlands. And he said, Chesterton once stated, for many times, the church in Europe has gone to the dogs, but in the end, it was always the dogs that died and the church lived. So that's an interesting quote. And I think... Um, we are experiencing that again at the grassroots level. Um, so my homework for this week for our podcast was when when Todd asked, um, "Is is there something happening? It, it, do we do we see signs of revival?" The truth is there are. You have to look away from the leadership of the church. You have to look away from the pope. You have to look away from the top tiers, um, the managers of the church, and you always have to look at the grassroots level. One thing that's happening, which is really interesting. Um, is that there are many diaspora churches that are coming. One thing about migration that we do have to remember is a lot of the migrants that come, which are not Muslim, 50% um, of those are church-going Christians. Mm -hmm. So they are planting churches all over the place, whether it's in London, whether it's in, in I mean, in Hamburg. One of the things that's interesting is that the, the, the churches that are booming are a lot of times African Pentecostal churches. So that is happening. Same Church here. Same here. Yeah, churches are being planted on a massive rate. Uh, I mean, I read this the other day. Um, in France, it says the uh, the goal is for to establish an evangelical church for every ten thousand people. So there's a huge church planting movement in France. There's a great prayer movement. Mm. Um, and the other thing too that that is happening is that people are um, as a whole the uh, Europeans are coming together. Um, that um, through different alliances, forums and stuff. So it is happening, but it is happening on a, on a grassroots level. I think that is a sign of hope. Um, but um, from a, and this is the key geostrategic implication why I think faith needs to become a part of this podcast. If you look at a world map of what's happening, and if you look at the last BRICS um, summit in South Africa, What's happening there in the BRICS nations? I mean, BRICS of Brazil, Russia, India, 
China and South Africa have now added who's who's coming Argentina um, uh, Saudi Arabia has applied I think Iran's applying so there's this big formation that is taking place in the non-western world that is basically surrounding and encompassing the western world the problem with the western world is that it has forgotten who it is it has forgotten its roots even though its roots and its symbols and everything that we stand for what we were founded upon we are uh, this disregarding and i think the key is for for american patriots for american christians for american I don't want to say Democrats, but people who believe in democracy, real democracy. Mm-hmm. And the same with European Christians, European um, followers of democracy, European traditionalists, European um, 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 patriots. Easter they, worshipers. Yes, Easter <laughs> worshipers, as, as they say uh, after. Right. I mean, unbelievable. Right. Thank you, uh, Secretary Clinton. Um, um, uh, uh, but anyways, the, the point is that we have to learn to stand together and we have to learn to um, basically revive one another, because if we don't, we are in deeper, dire, dire straits because the world is going to be against us. And I think for the survival of Western civilization, we have to rediscover our roots. And that, that's my key message. And um, it's going to be a part of this podcast. And I think we're going to um, continue to talk about this in the next couple of episodes. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you. Fabian. I think that's a good way to round off the podcast. And it's not the first time that good change came from the periphery of an empire. And, uh, you know, even all the very vibrant um, churches from abroad might just just be. We've seen it in history before, 2000 years ago. And, um, you know, um, so, so let's, let's stay on this. So thanks, Fabian, for that. That was really great tidbit. And um, Todd, thanks for, for hosting this podcast. And uh, well, we'll, we'll see you next week since this will be a daily podcast to the eager listeners. Weekly. And, uh, yeah. Weekly. Oh, weekly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> weekly. <laughs> Not quite. Well, yet, I'm going to close out because here we have the image of the statue of the boll weevil in Enterprise, Alabama. Just <laughs> <laughs> take care, guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.